It's really nice to be here with you all this morning. I've only been in here once. That was a couple of years ago in the evening. So um, I've never been here in the morning. But I did have a coffee with uh, Dave, who's a guy who started this, wasn't it? Yeah, um, probably 10 years ago. Uh, I was working in the Shankill Road at the time. And uh, he was just had this idea to start a church. So it's kind of cool to come 10 years later and see see you all and what you're all up to. Um, let me just introduce myself. I kind of always have to do this because um, everywhere I go, people have no idea what my accent is and they spend most of the time thinking about that and not what I'm talking about. So I've put you out of your misery and explain why I sound like I do. I was born in New Zealand, which is actually really, uh, you know, you don't often get talk, New Zealand doesn't get mentioned, you know, and I was standing at the back there when you did the prayer for Christchurch and actually found it really moving. Uh, I left New Zealand in 1983, which is a long, feels like a long time ago. Well, it was a long time ago. Uh, what was that? 36 years ago, 35, April, 1983. My parents, I was just before I turned eight years old, my parents were, uh, felt called to be missionaries. My dad was 49 years old and most 49 year olds don't kind of sell up their house in New Zealand and move their four kids. I was the youngest of four to England. Uh, we were there for a year and a half and then in 84 we moved here and uh, I've lived here ever since. For some reason my accent just is a bit of a shambles, you know. Um, I married an American that adds a little twist there, although she sounds more like she's from here than I do. Um, uh, so anyway, that's my that's that out of the way, so you can not worry about my accent anymore, okay? Um, <clears throat> So, like I said, I grew, I grew up here. I lived in Coleraine initially, and then we moved to Belfast. My family were, yeah, were missionaries. Uh, my dad passed away in 2004 on Father's Day. And as he passed away in those days, I know he wasn't wondering what it would be like to still be living in New Zealand. Um, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is is like you find treasure in a field, and the only way to get the treasure is you've got to buy the whole field. Um, there's no way back. You don't get to buy half the field. You've actually got to buy the whole thing. And I was fortunate to grow up in a family where I had parents who, who bought the field, you know? Not that being missionary is the only way to buy a field, but they embodied it in a very radical way, what it would mean to actually live the kingdom of God, this upside-down kingdom where the values of the world are not the values that we live by. Um, Dallas Willard in his book The Divine Conspiracy I don't know if that's been mentioned in this series but uh, he does a whole thing on the Beatitudes in that book and he starts the book off by talking about an airplane uh, flying through thick cloud and the, the pilot loses a sense of where up and down is and he realizes soon that he's heading straight for a mountain so he goes to fly up but instead he goes down and crashes Afterwards, they tried to figure out why did he fly down instead of flying up, and they realized that he was upside down. But because of the, the clouds, the thick cloud, he, couldn't, he lost all sense of bearing of where he was. He lost a sense of up and down, right and wrong. Uh, and in many ways, when we talk about the Beatitudes, we're talking about living in a world where we actually don't know what right and wrong is anymore. You know, We don't know what up and down is. Um, and not necessarily in culture war ways, but, but in the simple day-to-day values of what we value, what is important to us. 
And Jesus obviously embodied a completely different way of living. Sometimes we call it the upside down way, which I guess is your, your series. Maybe we could actually say he was embodying the right side up way. You know, the world is all the wrong way around. Um, but as I talk today, um, I guess I'm going to talk a bit about that in the context of blessed are the peacemakers. What would it look like to live in a world and live in this land, live in Northern Ireland in a way that would be somehow in a, living in a very opposite way to the way of this world. You know, Romans 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is an utterly upside down, different way of living that we're meant to live. And so blessed are the peacemakers shouldn't be like a nice little sermon where we kind of get to kind of go and live business as usual. All the Beatitudes should be challenging us to live in a very different way to the values that we see. And not just the values out there like they're the baddies and we're the goodies, but those values become part of all of us if we're not careful. And we just really embody the values of, of, the, of the world. And Jesus says we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of that world. My Just to give also introduction to why I'm talking about this, why do I feel passionate about it? I suppose I uh, grew up as a New Zealand kid in Northern Ireland in the 80s and 90s, and you know the troubles were going on. My parents ended up very naturally gathering Catholics and Protestants together, um, so I kind of tended to always grow up in an environment where uh, I just had a slightly different perspective, you know? That was most brought home to me when I spent a, a gap year in 1995 in South Africa, the year of uh, the Rugby World Cup, you know, when South Africa beat the All Blacks, the big miracle where John Olomu got stopped. Um, that day, I remember watching the World Cup final and that night walking through the streets of Pretoria and seeing black and white people everywhere celebrating. And as a news, that was the days where I was still very much a Kiwi. Uh, I was you know, sad we lost the World Cup, but then I saw black and white people celebrating and I thought, well, maybe this is actually a good thing. And during that year in South Africa, I um, was very struck by how similar it was to Northern Ireland, which is very funny because we never had apartheid, we never had black and white um, issues. But the, but the realities of peoples that don't know each other very well and have assumptions about each other and stereotypes and build walls, and maybe not walls of hostility, hostility, just walls of indifference or walls of ignorance. I was blown away by the similarities of it. Uh, and during that year, I did a, a mission trip in, in India, and I went to Mumbai, which is a city of about 20 million people, and I was on an evangelism outreach. I was there to evangelize people, tell them about Jesus. And I remember one day I got into a taxi and uh, I, the, the guy driving the taxi was a Muslim guy. And I thought, great, I'm going to get to practice my new skills of evangelism on this Muslim taxi driver. And uh, I sat in the back and we started to talk. And I said, um, and he said to me, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from this small little country you've probably never heard of called Northern Ireland. Uh, and he said, ah, Northern Ireland, that's where the Christians are killing each other. Uh, and in the back of the taxi, I just was like, ah, oh, that's got my evangelism off to a really bad start, you know? Like, 
what do I do now? What do I say? You know, and of course, you, you, there's the usual answers that we would all have answered. We would all probably say, oh, well, it's not all Christians. It's not like that. It's not really about religion. But at the same time, I was struck by the fact that uh, this country that had become my home uh, somehow was known around the world in a very polluted way, you know, um, and that our witness of, to Jesus had, had somehow really strayed away from a Jesus who on the cross showed that God would rather die for his enemies than to kill his enemies. Uh, and that led me on a trajectory, really, of thinking that I felt called to be uh, a missionary, but I also felt called to be a peacemaker, and I didn't know if you could do both of those things. Because um, peacemaking and telling people about Jesus must be the opposite of each other, right? Uh, and of course, it's not true, you know? Um, maybe being a peacemaker is the best kind of witness of Jesus we can really be. Uh, and so that led me back here. I ended up starting a Youth with a Mission community in the Shankill Road. At one point, we had about nine houses on either side of the Peace Wall. We had a couple on the, on the Falls and the, on the Springfield Road. And, um, and then we had a bunch up in Bally, one in Ballycillan and a bunch in the Lower Shankill and the Mid Shankill. And I was there for about eight years. And um, I had most of my teenage years were in kind of suburban uh, East Belfast. So it was a, it was a, bit of a culture shock for me. And we started to offer scholarships to young people from areas of conflict. Um, so over the years, we've brought probably over 50 people from places like Palestinians, Israelis, Lebanese, South Africans, uh, Sri Lanka, Syria, Uganda. We're blessed today to have uh, a multicultural Youth of the Mission crew that are here. And uh, two in particular, I'm going to get to pray at the end, Niasha from Zimbabwe and Rosa from Mozambique. So it's great to have people from countries where maybe there's been pain there and they come here to get a bit of healing so they can go back to their land to be agents of peace and reconciliation there. That's my kind of introduction to who I am and uh, who, why I'm here and why would I be talking about this. The documentary uh, is not available online yet, but at some time in the future you'll be able to see it somewhere. We haven't figured out exactly how and where yet. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a vision and we're going to do more of that, but I'm not going to talk any more about the documentary, all right? Let's just go into this Beatitudes, this upside down living way that God called us to be. When I lived in the Shankill, uh, I became good friends with a Catholic priest from uh, Clonard Monastery, Redemptorist Monastery on the Falls Road called Father Jerry Reynolds. Some of you might have heard of him. He was probably the most beautiful human being I ever met. Um, he used to walk up and down the Shankle in the Falls almost every day of his life. He was from Limerick. Uh, in the last years of his life, he had a great big gray beard and he was a real soft-hearted guy. And at his funeral, they said that Father Jerry was like a man that came from the future. And as we talk about blessed are the peacemakers, I think in a way what we're doing is we're talking about what would it be like for us to come from the future? A future where we are not divided by peace walls or the invisible walls of class. A future where we regard each other as our neighbor, as, as our friend, regardless of what they look like, what their last name is, or what they believe. And 
That, I believe, is what we're called to do. And as I talk about Blessed are the Peacemakers, I'm going to talk about what would it look like if we all came from the future. And I believe the calling on us as Christians is actually to be like people who come from the future. In a way, today's St. Patrick's Day. Um, I've got a friend, David Kidd, who always goes on about Patrick, never stops. Doesn't, not just on St. Patrick's Day, every day of the week, every year. He's always talking about Patrick. And his point is, Patrick is the clearest picture of what it would look like for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to really live in a kind of radical way. That, uh, you know, not the way... <laughs> You know, certain segments of the society over here try to say Patrick is our own. He's, he's, he was really a Protestant, you know, like, or, you know, the other could no, he was really a Catholic, you know, like, I think Patrick's a little bit beyond that. But in the sense, sense that Patrick seemed to come here and embody a kind of a, a witness to Jesus that was not confined by Rome, as in, like, the, the institutions of his time. He kind of came to a country and brought it to life. Um, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit in the, in the, uh, here about Shalom. And Patrick showed us a little bit of what Shalom would look like. Um, so as I talk, I'm, going to, I'm essentially going to be asking this question, what would it look like for us to be a community of peacemakers? And in a way, I think it would be, what would it look like for us to be a community of people who come from the future? What would it look like to be a community of Patricks who are shalom bringers? So the first thing I want to say is, let's start, I'll start with my point two and go back to point one because we're talking about shalom. I think what it means is we're a community of shalom. So the shalom is a Hebrew word meaning peace. But the English word peace is very different from what the Hebrew word shalom means. Um, the best way I use to describe it is if my car it, in Ross Trevor is sitting at peace, the engine's turned off and it's sitting there not bothering anyone, it's gradually rusting away from the Carlingford lock, salt water is getting blown in by those constant winds that come. And uh, it's just sitting there nicely, rusting away. <laughs> But if my car is at Shalom, the engine is turned on and it works first time. And I put it into first gear, turn the lights on, they all work. I indicate right and all the indicators work, all the light, which is a miracle of my car, all the lights work. Uh, and I start driving down the road, first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth, fifth. Everything works the way it's meant to work. That's a much better picture of what it would look like for my car to be at Shalom. Do you understand the difference between peace and shalom? So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's not just going, just chill. Everyone be quiet and go to sleep for the next 60 years. No, what he means is, go into the world and bring it to life. Bring this world back to the way it was always meant to be. Make it flourish and come to life. So when Adam was told to subdue the earth, God wasn't saying, get those rainforests and cut them down. He was saying, find wasteland and bring it to life. That would be much more faithful to the Hebrew understanding of what it means to have dominion over the earth. It didn't mean chop down the rainforest. It means plant flowers, plant trees. If we're to be peacemakers, we're meant to be shalom bringers. We see peace in many uh, 
places in the Bible. One of the most clear is in Isaiah 9, where we have this prophecy about this son that will be born to us. And in Isaiah 9, it says this, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So there's this prophecy which became a cornerstone prophecy for the, for the early church and for us today. Still at Christmas, right? We read those words, don't we? That Jesus, by coming to earth, was somehow bringing shalom to earth. He was somehow coming to this earth that is broken and in need of repair. And he was beginning the process of putting it back together to be the way it was always meant to be. And we're meant to be his shalom bringers. To be his shalom bringers, what does that mean? I think what it means is we have to be involved in the lives of people, very simply, of all people, and, and no walls in between us and those people. We, I heard a story once of a little kid. I have three little boys, and the story always reminds me of, of all three of them, actually, at different points, where they were lying in bed, um, not being able to sleep, and they uh, cry out, uh, Mommy, Mommy. I can't sleep. Mommy comes in. What's the matter, son? I can't sleep. I'm having a bad dream. Mom looks down at the son and says, listen, it's okay. Every time you have a bad dream, just pray to Jesus and he'll make the bad dream go away. And the little boy looks up at his mom and he says, but mommy, sometimes I need Jesus with skin on. And, uh, you know, the call for us to be shalom bringers means to be incarnational. It means to actually be Jesus with skin on. If we're not being that, we're not being much use. We can't bring life to the world if we won't touch the world. We can't heal what we won't touch. And so we have to be able to touch, and we have to be with people. Second, not only do we need to be a community of shalom bringers, we need to be a community of the cross. In Ephesians 2, um, Paul was talking to a church in Ephesus of Jews and Gentiles, and they were trying to figure out like, do the Jews need to become like Gentiles? Do they need to start like eating pork and stuff? Or do the Gentiles all need to get circumcised? Do they need to like follow the law? Like, how do we do this? The Jews sit on one side and the Gentiles on another. And into a, a divided church, Paul says these words, Jesus is our peace. He's made the two one. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that kept you apart. By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. One new humanity. The dividing wall of hostility was an actual wall in the temple that separated the court of Gentiles from the places where the Jews could go. And actually there was an inscription in Greek outside the temple on this dividing wall of what they, this wall they used to call the dividing wall of hostility, small wall about that size. And it says, whoever is captured, like it was a warning to any Gentile that puts his foot over this wall, whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. If you walk over that wall, you're only going to have yourself to blame if you find yourself killed. You're not welcome. This wall of hostility keeps you apart. It's only for the Jews inside there. Gentiles stay out. 
And to enter into that environment, Paul in Ephesians says, he himself is our peace. Jesus, who on the cross made the two groups one. His purpose was to create one new humanity. And so to be community of peacemakers, we have to be a community of the cross. The cross is what brings us together. It's what destroys the hostility. I remember speaking this in my old church in another part of Belfast about 15 years ago. And it was at a time when our church was really having some difficulties with each other. People were having real problems. And I felt like I should get the cross and stick it right in the middle of the church and get everyone to move their seats. And you know what this country's like. You know, getting people to move their seats an inch in service is a little bit, you know, not to be done. What, you're asking us to move our chair, you know? And it, was, uh, it caused a little bit of chaos, Northern Irish chaos, like, you know, two minutes of slight shuffling, you know. Um, but we literally put a cross in the middle and we said, this is what is the center of our church. This is what it's about. And as you look at the cross, you see someone on the other side. You catch their eye and you realize you have a problem with them. And you kind of can't be a community of the cross while you create walls between yourself and others. The cross calls us to neighborliness and love. Uh, If you're offering your gift at the altar and you realize you've got something against your neighbor, first go and be reconciled, Jesus said. And then give your gift at the altar. And so this church here is actually meant to be a beautiful picture of what it looks like for people who live the upside down way where the cross is at the center of our community. The cross is at the center of every human relationship in this church. The cross, that place of, if we're all on the same ground at the foot of the cross. There's not a hierarchy at the foot of the cross. There's not the place of the pastors or the worship leaders. We're all on the same level and we sit there in need of the mercy of Jesus. And he looks at us and says, Father, forgive them. The cross is what we center ourselves around. And so it becomes our identity. It becomes our citizenship, our nationality. The New Zealand writer Mike Riddell said, there's no dual citizenship in heaven. In one sense, when we come to Jesus, we kind of lay down our passports. You know, We still have our diversity, but our identity is not in my British passport or my New Zealand. I have two. You know, my identity is in, I'm a kind of a, I'm a child of God. He said I could be one of his kids. And that's who I am. So to be a peacemaking church, we're a church where our citizenship is found in heaven. Our citizenship is found in Jesus, in the cross. Not in our nationality. And we love our nationality sometimes. Not when you're watching the rugby yesterday. Then you'd get really annoyed. That was really annoying. But let's not talk about the rugby. We're talking about the cross. It's very bad. Um, What does it mean to be people shaped by the cross? In my documentary, I interviewed three people who who became victims during the Troubles. Um, uh, Beryl Quigley, some of you might know, Alan McBride, whose wife was killed in the Shanko bombing in 1993, and Eugene Reevey, who was from the tiny little, don't even want to say village of White Cross, um, cluster of houses in South Armagh called White Cross in 1976. His three brothers were watching Celebrity Squares in their living room, and, and, the, and um, 
uh, gunmen from what we now know as the Glenann Gang, which was a collaboration of security forces and paramilitaries, came in and opened fire and shot his three brothers. One was shot uh, once, fell face down, and then 40 more bullets were put in his back. Um, that night, as the, as the extended Reavy family gathered in this place of slaughter and death, uh, Eugene's mum was a very devout Catholic woman, loved Jesus, and she used to always light candles, he said. She would light a candle for, this is for cousin you know, Seamus, and this is for our uncle such and such, and this is for such and such. And then she lit, she got a new candle and she put it up. And she said, this is for the people who shot our sons. Uh, because they, they need forgiveness too. And she lit the candle and she didn't do it just that one time. She did it every day of her life for the rest of her life, for 30 years. And by doing so, she shows us what it would be like to be community of the cross. Not having a little necklace around your neck, but actually being shaped by enemy love. By your whole existence is shaped around the cross. That's what it would be like. That's what it would be to be a community of shalom, a community of the cross. I just want to say for, also for this church, I believe what the cross, what the community of peacemakers means that we are a community where power is reorganized. And I just really had a sense as I came in today that this is, a, this is actually a beautiful community. Uh, it's a community where maybe you don't always know what's going on, but there's a sense of you're centered around each other and around Jesus. And I don't mean you don't know what's going on. I just sense that, you know, sometimes we value that as a high thing. Oh, we, everything's organized. I felt like I came in and there was just a sense of community, not, not institution. And uh, I also felt, maybe I'll just give a little prophetic kind of sense to you guys. As I sat there, stood at the back, I just had a sense that in, for a building to stand, you need pillars, you know? You need things that hold it up. And I felt like, in many ways, some of you might be sitting here and wondering, how long are we in this church for? What are we here for? And I just had a sense that this is a room full of pillars, of people who really... God may call you to, to stay here and be here. And as you're here, you create space, a big space, for many more people to come in. And I believe this is to be a community of grace, that people walk into this building, walk into your midst, and they feel a space for grace, a space where they can grow, not where they're confined, where they're in a box, but they're given a space to encounter Jesus. So I just want to encourage you with that. I believe this is a, a real community of grace and I suppose that goes into my last point of what would a community of peacemakers been I think what it means is that you become arcs um, we had a word as, as youth with a mission in Milan a few years ago this guy came and said you know the world needs arcs and arcs would be places where people are safe they're not going to drown in the ark you know uh, and um, I believe a peacemaking church is a place that's unique. It's kind of like an ark. And so it looks a little bit different than maybe a normal church. It's a space where people can come in and feel safe. And I feel that's what you guys here are. Um, 
I remember at my old church, this guy came and spoke, Roy Searle. He created, he's founded the Northumbria community. And he said, he's talked to us about exile. And he said, in many ways, Christians in, in our land, in this part of the world, feel like we're in exile. We don't know anymore exactly who we're meant to be and how to be Christian. And he said, we're, it's like we're the, in Babylon, you know, we're sitting by the rivers of Babylon and our captors are telling us to sing a song saying, sing us one of the songs of Jerusalem. And, and we say, but how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And sometimes we might feel like we're in a strange land. We actually don't quite know where we fit anymore. But I believe into this strange land, the, the world is looking for Jesus with skin on. They're looking for people who they can touch and feel Jesus, who they can smell Jesus in. And they're looking for places where people are no longer carrying the weight of the old past stuff. Like people who come from the future. People who are not walking around as identified as Protestant, Catholic, but as people who embody something different. And so for you guys today, we're going to finish. I want to just say um, to be... The community God wants you to be, God calls you into the future to be healed from the past and to be people who show a God who would rather die for his enemies than to kill his enemies. You're called to be shalom builders where you bring life to the world everywhere you go. You're to be people of the cross shaped by this enemy love. You're to be a people who reorganizes power where servanthood is what you're known by. Where you come from the future, where you create these arcs, new wineskins that don't look like old wineskins, even 10-year-old wineskins. They look new. And as you do it, I believe you create this space of peace. Jesus, after that passage in Matthew, the start of Matthew 5, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we are to be people like God who reign on the righteous and the good. We're to, we're to love like the sun shines and the rain falls indiscriminately on everyone. That's what it means to be children of our Father in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you will be called children of God. This theme of children of God, what does it mean? It means we love like the sun shines and the rain falls. That's our calling. And so I'm going to lead us, the band is going to come up maybe and um, finish with a song. And I'm just going to lead us um, to, uh, and to the Lord's table, this open table. So I'm not usually, I'm not the leader of this church, but I'm going to kind of lead us in that if that's okay. And I'm going to invite two of my friends from beautiful countries of Zimbabwe and Mozambique, you're going to come and pray a prayer for us. Why don't you come up? Niasha from Zimbabwe, come up, and Rosa from Mozambique. And as they come, let's listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so at the start of this sermon today, at the start of this service, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And we, the, first words, the first word of that is our, our Father. And so we don't just come as individuals to the bread and wine. We come as a corporate community of people with no walls, with a crosses in the middle of us. There's no dividing walls of hostility between us that have been abolished. Jesus has shown that he actually wants us to be one. And so we're not just one Northern Irish people or one Irish people, one British people. We're one human family. And so I want uh, Rosa to pray a prayer. She can pray in Portuguese and uh, just thanking the Lord for his sacrifice. And Niasha is going to pray a prayer in Shona. And just to hear these two accents and voices, it's just showing us that we are one. Not just one in this land, but we're also one in the, in the world. That God calls us not just to people over the other side of the road, but he might call us to the nations of the world. So let's pray. Senhor Jesus, muito obrigada a Deus pelo esse momento que estamos aqui. Obrigada, Papá, porque você é bom. O Senhor sempre está, está conosco. Obrigada, Jesus, por ter morrido por nós, por ter enviado seu filho para morrer pelos nossos pecados, mesmo que nós não merecemos, mas o Senhor sempre está conosco. Jesus, ensina-nos a amar um ao outro, ensina-nos a ter a paz que o Senhor nos deu, Senhor, e que nós possamos viver um como um corpo de Cristo, como uma pessoa só, não ter indiferenças ou problema, mas sim possamos ser só um em Cristo, porque somos chamados para ser filhos de Deus. Obrigada, Papá, porque o Senhor é bom conosco. Continua abençoando-nos, continua protegendo. Em nome de Jesus. Amen.